super excited to finally introduce, I've been trying to get him over here for such a long time, from all the way from Canada, Matt Miskovich of 99designs, of SitePoint, of Flippa, and of course of the new company Learnable. He was closing advertising deals and earning more money than both of his parents combined when he was 14 years old. And since then, uh, it's been 12, 13 year old journey in building uh, three other companies. So with that, let's welcome Matt to Zerb Sobot. Thank you. So Matt, awesome to have you, pretty excited. So we have about 20, 25 minutes, so I kind of want to just start and uh, start in the beginning, kind of work our way through all the companies that uh, yeah. you, you built. Um, let's start from the very beginning. You were about 14, 15 years old. You're out there, you're developing websites, and you're having a tough time finding resources of how to do HTML and SEO and all this stuff, right? Exactly. So basically, I just started compiling everything I was learning into a web page I put online and shared with the world finding all the SEO tools, all the HTML editors, the hosting companies, the domain name registrars, et cetera. And it became really, really popular because there was very, very little information on the web at the time. A lot of information that was out there was completely outdated. So it was really perfect timing. Webmaster Resources was the name of the site, right? That's and right. Webmaster Resources launched in April 1st, 1998. And that was a good time, right? It was a good time because the day that the price of a two-year domain name registration dropped from $100 for two years to $70 for two years. Okay. So I didn't have the $30 difference. I had to wait yes. till April 1st <laughs> to buy the domain name. <laughs> That's awesome. So you launched, you launched the site and... And three weeks later, I'm in USA Today and then LA Times, Washington Post. And, and they had no idea how old I was, no <laughs> clue whatsoever. <laughs> then Windows Magazine came calling. They're like, you seem to know a little bit about this web development stuff. How about you write a column for our magazine? I'm like, oh, this is cool. They're paying me a dollar a word to write. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I had to sign a contract stating I'm 19 years old, <laughs> so let's not tell him that. <laughs> so uh, it just got picked up naturally because there was not nothing like that on the web at the time, right? Exactly, and we started building out a very huge community very early on. We installed vBulletin back when it was still in its infancy. Got you know tens of thousands of members talking to each other. Built out an email list, an email newsletter that I wrote every week. By myself for seven years running. Seven years <laughs> newsletter. Yeah. Forums was the big thing, right? For the yeah, community. forums were huge. This was before Stack Overflow and before Quora. Right. So people like loved talking to each other online, before Facebook. So you were uh, you were going to school. We were just talking about it just earlier, right? In the morning, you'd you'd get some meetings going, and then you'd go to school and some advertising deals? Yeah, I tried to schedule all of my like ad sales calls during my lunch hour between like noon and one. And I'd have to lie to the person on the other end of the line saying, you know, I have another meeting at one, I have a hard stop. And really it was social studies class. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty sweet. So I mean you're uh, you're driving a BMW to school and you got your I got a lot of new girlfriends that week. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> you got a new girlfriend. How do you actually turn this into a sustainable business that's going to be kind of uh, earning a lot of money down the road and kind of... Yeah, so basically I had an offer to sell the company for a couple hundred thousand dollars when I was 16, 17 years old. I was just having so much fun with it and I'm like, let's see where we can take this. So I partnered up with Mark Harbottle, who's based in Melbourne, Australia. 
He was the marketing manager at one of the first Australian internet companies to go public on the stock exchange. They made an HTML editor called Hot Dog, and the company that made that HTML editor was called Sausage Software. Okay. So Sausage Software making hot dog. <laughs> so he was, doing, he was doing marketing deals with me and whatnot. He was a little bit older than me. He was ready to leave his company and saw what I had built and saw, of, saw it as a good jumping off point to build something bigger and better. So he sort of shook hands. My mom flew down with me to Melbourne, <laughs> Australia. She was scared. I'm like, who's this weird guy you met over the internet? <laughs> And you guys, uh, you guys got this deal going, and how did he help you? What happened next? Uh, we basically started immediately working on a rebranding project. So Webmaster Resources was a really long and awkward domain, and we picked SitePoint as, uh, as a new brand. And the, Mark actually is the one that came up with the name. He was driving down the highway in Melbourne, Australia, and he saw a billboard ad for a website called CarPoint. I don't know if anyone remembers CarPoint, but it was basically Microsoft's car website, like Edmunds.com or whatever. He's like, oh, car point, site point. He okay. went home, checked it, and it had just expired that very same day. So it was like awesome timing. So you got the URL. Rebranding. Re so you guys did a redesign? Yeah, we did a rebrand, a redesign. We launched in March of 2000. Then in the summer of 2000, I flew down to Melbourne, Australia by myself. My mom let me go. <laughs> I spent two and a half months living in Melbourne, Australia. We opened our office. I was doing like job interviews and hiring our first couple of employees. My friends were off at the beach drinking a smoking pot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. different contrast. And so you guys know that it's about education, right? This site is about education. You guys notice that people are printing out some of the tutorials that are Exactly. The like the most popular link on any given page back in 2000, 2001 was the print this article link, which actually makes a lot of sense. Back then, no one had two monitors on their desktop. So when they were learning to program and code, they didn't want to switch back and forth between windows. So it was a lot easier to print out a tutorial and have it sitting next to the keyboard so they could follow along. Right. Um, some of these tutorials were now running like 200, 300 pages. So we came up with this thesis that people would pay us for printing out the content on their behalf and shipping it to them. So we found this really shitty print-on-demand company called digits.net. And uh, we sent them our, one of our tutorials. They created a book out of it, started accepting credit cards on the website, and sure enough, even though the content was available entirely for free online, people were more than willing to pay $35 to have a hard copy shipped to their door. So I guess they're saving money on inject cartridges or something. And back then, <laughs> I don't know, do people have two screens back then? No. Not really, no. so you get, I guess it's interesting to have the printed material yeah. there. So SidePoint is doing well. The forums are exploding, and tell me about how 99design was conceived. From so around 2005, 2006, we had like hit this critical mass in the designer community, and one of the really interesting trends that emerged in the forums was this game called Photoshop Tennis. Basically, we had a lot of designers who were very passionate about graphic design, but who had a lot of spare time on their hands. So what they were doing is they were creating these made-up fictional projects and competing against each other to see who could do the best job. And they called this Photoshop tennis. They're going back and forth you know, with designers all around the world. I, th I think it's sort of similar to open source programmers. People who participate in open source project. They may have a day job during the day during which they get paid. But at home, they still go on and contribute to Linux or whatever project they're passionate about. So in the same way, we had all these graphic designers who were willing to work for free, essentially. Um, so as part of that, one of the things that happened is some of the bloggers and webmasters in our community saw this fantastic design talent going to waste. 
they started posting discussion threads saying, create a new design for my blog and I'll pay $500 to the design I like the best. Create a new design for my logo and I'll pay $100 to the design I like the best. Mm -hmm. And the designers just really jumped on top of this opportunity. They're like, wow, a real paying client. <laughs> it's free money. So the, typically the, tip the client would typically get back you know, 20, 30, 40 different designs to choose from and they'd pay the designer one-on-one -on -one at the end of the project. And that was sort of the basic model. Um, the problem is that not everyone is trustworthy. So people would post a request for design work and they'd save the image to their hard drive and disappear without paying the designer. Or the designer lived overseas or didn't accept credit card payments. So then it was really painful because they had to go to Western Union or go to a bank and do a wire transfer, all this other stuff. So we decided to basically start charging a $10 listing fee for projects to kind of try and weed out the crap and all the scammers and make sure the clients are a little bit more serious about paying out the designer at the end of the process. Mm -hmm. And to our surprise, people were more than happy to pay $10 listing fee. And we started making five and $10,000 a month. So we're like, this is really interesting. Let's invest a little bit more time and effort into this. So we spent six weeks with one programmer and one designer building a minimum viable product some very basic software to formalize this process of design contests. So it wasn't just a form thread on vBulletin. It was actually something slightly more substantial. At the same time, we doubled the listing price from $10 to $20 and rolled it out across all of SitePoint. Then a really interesting thing started to happen. I mean, all of a sudden, it wasn't just webmasters and bloggers and IT people getting graphic designs done. We started seeing more mainstream businesses like coffee shop owners, spas, doggy daycares. And we're like, how the fuck are these people finding us? <laughs> if you come to SitePoint.com, the first thing you're going to see is like an article on jQuery or Ruby on Rails. You had all these small, real-world businesses who somehow managed to get past all this crap and finding this design contest thing and posting their projects there. That was entirely through word of mouth. They were just hearing about it from their friends and relatives and whatnot. So like, this is really cool. Um, so in 2007, we were like, we need a separate brand for this. We need a separate brand for this. My business partner read a book called The 22 Immutable Laws of Branding by Al Reese and Laura Reese. And one of the quotes in that book says that the quickest way to destroy a brand is to try and make it stand for everything. Mm -hmm. So SitePoint stood for education. Right. It did not stand for outsourced graphic design services or right. crowdsourcing, right? So we decided to rebrand and relaunch as 99designs, which happened in February of 2008. And once we do, did that, the word of mouth just accelerated, went absolutely nuts. So you guys uh, get a pretty good response from people. People love 99 Design. Except the American Institute of Graphic Artists. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, so there's a lot of criticism. Too. Yeah, the AIJ sent us a letter like three or four months after we started saying, you're hurting the industry, you're disruptive, we don't like spec work. Yeah, Please yeah. shut down and fire all your employees, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. still have that letter somewhere. <laughs> so we politely put it to the so we politely put the letter to the side and kept going with it. But there's definitely quite a lot of negative blog posts around the web still, you know, people di dissing us for promoting spec work and devaluing the graphic design industry. But on a net basis, it's really positive. What do you do, what do you say to people like that? I think, you know, many, gra many industries have been disrupted, you know. Uh, E-Trade came along and allowed people to trade stocks for $9 online rather than calling up a stockbroker and paying 99 bucks. There's a lot fewer people now employed as, you know, stockbrokers taking orders over the phone. Expedia came along and allowed people to book their own travel without having to use a travel agency. iStock Photo came and, you know, disrupted Getty Images in the stock photography industry by allowing people to buy images for one dollar. 
Um, the funny thing is that many of the designers who complain about us disrupting the graphic industry are more than happy to pay $1 for stock images on iStock Photo, whereby really they're putting out of work many professional photographers. So it's like... Right, <laughs> right. So you're disrupting the, design, the graphic design and with 99design, you're sort of disrupting the web design education with SitePoint. Now you turn to uh, Flippa. Flippa was the, the next business, and it was uh, about auction of a market, marketplace of selling websites. Right? Exactly, and this was also incubated within the SitePoint forums within vBulletin. Same way. Same way, basically. We're charging people $10 to post a website for sale. They post all their key stats, their page views, their unique visitors, their traffic sources, their sources of revenue, and then people would basically bid by replying to this forum thread. So it's a really small, minimum viable product. And people hated Flippa, right, once it first launched. Yeah. They did not like it at all. What happened there? 99 Designs, people seemed to be cool with Flippa, not so much. People thought we were greedy. So initially, on SitePoint, while well, it was part of SitePoint, we were charging people a $10 listing fee. People were selling their websites for ten, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. One guy sold a website for $900,000. And all we got was this shitty $10 listing fee. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> this isn't going to pay for all of the expenses that we have. Right. So we're like, we need to be more of a traditional auction model and have a 5% success fee. And we thought there wouldn't be a lot of backlash against it, because really, we're just aligning our interests with the interests of the sellers. We don't get a 5% commission unless your sale is successful. If people had been selling websites for so long and making so much money and paying us for so little, right, right. <laughs> that when we started charging, people were really upset. So we had like this huge backlash from our community. There were discussion threads running 20 pages long, 300, 400 people saying, roll back the changes. We hate Flippa. You're greedy. I'm never going to use you guys again. I'm studying a competitor, blah, blah, blah. And I spent like three months basically like reading all these posts trying to reply and holding back the tears, <laughs> thinking, you know, <laughs> did I just make like the biggest mistake, you know, building out Flippa? And but it worked out, right? We kind of got through the dip. After three or four months, people started forgetting about it. And, you know, no, no one else really emerged as a viable competitor. And to date, we've sold now $55 million worth of websites. And we're still like the only real player in this space. So the analogy that I always like to use is that domain names are like the vacant land. Vacant land is really hard to value and really hard to sell, which is why when you go to moniker.com or greatdomains.com, you see 10 million listings. Most of those listings will never, ever sell. Right. But if you put something on that vacant land and start collecting a paycheck from tenants every month, right. all of a sudden, boom, you can apply valuation metrics and get liquidity that much easier. So on Flippa now, about 55% of all websites end with a bid above the reserve price. So it's really, really successful. What like, are some of the biggest sites you, you guys sold on? Uh, one really cool one that we had was facesmash.com, which, face which was actually Mark Zuckerberg's original domain name. Oh. And it was featured in the movie The Social Network. Oh, that's right, that's right. So that was the original version of Facebook, basically. And someone bought that domain name because it dropped. And then they auctioned it off for $30,000 the week the movie came out. We got massive, massive publicity off of it. Wow. <laughs> Even Paris Hilton, the blogger, like, wrote about it. Wow. Like a link to Flippa. <laughs> like awesome, man. <laughs> good for SEO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So Flippa disrupting the marketplace for websites. 99designs disrupting a graphic design. Somebody really wants to get a hold of this. <laughs> and uh, the next business right now you're working on is Learnable, right? That's right. And that's about disrupting the educators' market? Educa Education. Basically, Learnable is a marketplace that allows anyone to create and sell access to an online course. 
So really, we're turning merchants in, or consumers into merchants, by allowing anyone to become like a published educator. So whether you're passionate about dog training, yoga, fitness, Microsoft Excel, or in one case is worm farming, <laughs> you can create an online course and sell access to it through our online platform. Is that also SitePoint Forms? Is that how it was born, the idea for it? Or? We basically started doing video education through SitePoint as a way of um, kind of getting past the decline in online book sales. So video is hot, books and print media sort of dying a slow death, as we saw with the bankruptcy of Borders recently. Um, so we're looking for the next big thing. We started doing video education and video training. We had fantastic response rates. So we decided, you know, let's see what we can do with this. So you got a lot of companies, right? How do you find talent for all these companies? And then the second question I also have, you know, branding. How do you even keep these separate brands and uh, keep it all going? And, you know, people kind of refer to you as SitePoint guy and then hear all these other businesses. Yeah. They're all separately incorporated companies, so they each have their own P&L, they each have their own management team, the general manager, CEO, et cetera. Okay. So it's really quite separate, so we can have really good visibility into what each business is doing, so one good business isn't subsidizing one bad business, okay. which is really important. And then we have a group function that sits above all the companies for like finance and accounting and legal, and that those costs are shared across the board. And talent, finding talent for all these businesses, What's your very, very, very hard. Yeah. yeah, in Melbourne, we're using 16 recruiters right now to try and hire developers. Wow. I'm still coming up short-handed. Wow. And you guys, you guys raised some, some funding, right? Tonight? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, and <laughs> 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 tiny bit. <laughs> and uh, you did that to, did you need money or why, why did you? We didn't need the money. You just, no. for fun, kind of? <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, to help you kind of get visibility and... Well, we had proven out the mall very well. We had, you know, product market fit. We had high, very high net promoter scores, so it's time to kind of scale up the business and take it to the next level. And certainly Excel has been uh, the one VC in the Silicon Valley who's been very successful at scaling companies up very fast. You know, okay. Groupon going from zero to X couple billion in an IPO within three years. And yeah. They're one of the early investors. And Facebook and AdMob and Etsy, okay. so they were really good fit. So helping you kind of get the best of the talent and getting the business cranking all the way. Exactly. That's cool. So you talked about minimum viable product and the idea of kind of testing things early on to see if there is any traction there with, with the ideas. Talk a little bit more about how you, you employ something like that. You, do you put up a little website with a few things on it and see where people click without back-end functionality, or how do you kind of go about doing that? Well, like in the case of book publishing, we basically chose to use a print-on-demand company, so we had no inventory risk, no upfront expenditures to start publishing and selling you know, content in printed format. We also decided to use an existing piece of content and repurpose it into a book, so we didn't have to invest in any content upfront. So it's like really, really quick and easy way to see whether or not people are willing to hand over their credit card. With 99designs and Flip, I went through several different stages. 99designs you know, started off as a free forum within vBulletin. We tagged on a $10 listing fee to prove that there's money there. It was successful. We built some basic software around this idea in six weeks, you know, which cost us fifteen dollars or $20,000. But that was just done out of cash flow, essentially. So right. no real, you know, had, we didn't have to dig deep into our pockets to make that happen. Then once we saw all the mainstream businesses start using us, we were able to invest a little bit more and go out and build a separate brand and start using Amazon Web Services. 
we were one of the very first Amazon Web Services customers back in like 2007 and 2008. They didn't have like a service level guarantee or anything. Uh, that was it's more of kind of uh, see if people are actually going to be using this thing and then invest a little more time, a little more resources, a little more resources. Exactly. Try and see how quickly you can fail. Well, you have a fifth business in mind now, or working on anything new? Ah, uh, nothing right now. Okay. We're gonna turn we're gonna turn Learnable into a subscription business. That's gonna take a little bit of work, okay. rather than trying to sell off courses one off. Right. So so following the Audible model, basically. Okay, so people can subscribe and take as many courses as they want in yep. different subjects. Yep. So at this point, you just kind of scale the number of classes on there, right? Exactly. So it's a chicken and egg game because people don't want to see people coming to the site because they want to be sure that people are going to be buying their classes. So you're always kind of juggling this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. D how much of the, it seems that the audience from SitePoint helped a lot with 99designs, helped a lot with Flippa because they're very related, you know, website development, website design. How much of that is spilling over into Learnable? A little bit. I think Siphon was really important for 99designs and Flippa. The biggest reason most companies fail, I think, is not because they built a shitty product, it's because they lack the distribution and they run out of cash before they figure out a repeatable sales channel, a repeatable way to market and gain customers. So with Siphon, we basically have a free playground to test and play with, with two and a half million unique visitors per month, you know, one and a half million email addresses. We can make a lot of mistakes without spending any money on marketing, essentially and figure out what works and what doesn't. That's incredibly valuable. One of the competitors to 99designs raised $3 million early on, back in 2008, a few months after we launched. And they're still like one-tenth of our size. So you know, even like they had $3 million and we had $300,000 to start off with. You know, we were able to outgrow them simply because we were able to leverage the site point distribution channel. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good model. Just I think Jason Freed I don't know, Tim Ferriss, and a lot of people just kind of talk about the fact you got to kind of have a community of people, and then after that, you can kind of figure out a product. Once you have a community of folks kind of following you, you can just use that community to, uh, to test ideas. Yeah, and exactly. Put, see put what web pages up. There was a post um, I just read uh, about a week. A guy just put up uh, a sign-up screen with three lines of what the product would do. That's launchrock.com, right? Allows you to create these, you know, beta sign-up yeah, pages. Just, the guy doesn't even have anything for the product. He just wants to see how many people are going to sign up on this. He put two prices on there, and <laughs> click, people click over and they sign up, and then he, he got. So it doesn't exist. <laughs> Nothing else exists. It's just it's just three lines of code, three lines of description of the, what the product is. Yeah. He got like 200 signups, so he's like, okay, maybe I should actually implement something. Like <laughs> Maybe I'll have another sign up for him. Well, that. that's a lot better than spending six or nine months building something and then finding out that no one gives a shit and no one <laughs> wants right. to give you their money. Totally <laughs> true, totally true. So along the same lines of testing it one step at a time. So uh, wanted to kind of open the questions up to you guys. You guys listening to the discussion must have some questions there. There you go. go uh, what's the key to uh, building a community and how do you, uh, how do you think a few things changing from It's a lot more crowded now. Back in like 1999, 2000, 2001, it was a lot easier because there was a lot less noise on the internet. Now you have all these companies like Demand Media just churning out junk content for SEO purposes, eHow.com churning out junk content for SEO purposes. 
you know, it makes it really crowds the space. We're able to attract our community by publishing great content and then engaging with those people. But now just everyone is hiring all these ind writers in India and Pakistan for you know, one penny a word and just like spamming the web, which is kind of sucks. So I don't think it's sustainable in the long term. I wouldn't be buying demand media shares. Question here. Uh, so, uh, uh, MVPs are awesome because you can try stuff and see if it works or not. Is there any ideas that, that you tried and it did not work out? Lots of ideas, yeah. So, we tried selling ebooks back in 2000, 2001. People were barely comfortable enough shopping online for physical products. Paying money for a digital good was just like a total non starter. We tried video education back in 2005, 2004 the first time around completely flopped we went back and we tried it five years later we had a lot more general mainstream acceptance um, the other thing that we tried was like a marketplace for crowdsourcing naming called namemythingy.com <laughs> <laughs> and basically what was happening with that was that People got you know, 50 or 100 different name suggestions for their brand or their company, and they would just be so indecisive that they wouldn't pick any winner. Oh. Eventually, all the people that were suggesting names just got really discouraged, and it all fell apart. Oh, wow. <laughs> and maybe the branding was a little bit off. <laughs> That's awesome. Name my thing. <laughs> is it still up? Yeah. yeah, I think it is. Okay, <laughs> Brian. So I'll give you the example with Flippa. Um, when it was part of Cypo, we were just charging this $10 listing fee. It was like you know a six-figure-a-year business, and it was always going to be a six-figure-a-year business because we weren't capturing enough of the value that we were creating. So that's why we decided to rebrand as Flippa and start charging the commission fee. And we were basically willing to lose this small business that was making two or three hundred thousand dollars a year, or to build something that's worth two or three million dollars a year. So even though we had all this negative feedback and all this outcry from the community about us being greedy bastards, you know, we're saying, you know, okay, yes, we are, <laughs> number one. <laughs> and number two, we're willing to, you know, risk it all in order to build a multi-million dollar business rather than just forever having something ticking over at two or three hundred grand a year. What, what do you know that you kind of have to just, like, name your thing? You just got to give up and go on. Yeah. When, when do you actually kind of um, determine that, though? Sometimes you kind of want to push it, you're passionate about the idea, and then, you know, is it, do you make the decision? Is it like the team? How does it happen? What if do it doesn't get traction or positive feedback at all in the early days, and it's time to give it up or to radically change it, I think. Okay. I think we you know Flippa and 99 Designs, now video learning, all this stuff. We had engaged customers who were saying good things about us, even though it was a less than perfect product. Name my name. I think you know. I'll never say anything good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As long as you got good, good uh, reviews, good feedback on stuff. Yeah. Because there's always going to be a group of early adopters who are willing to put up with you know partial feature sets and bugs and whatnot, but they're still getting value of your product and giving you feedback and okay. you know sending you emails and bugging you at all hours of the night, and that's a good sign. And if no one emails you at all, that's a bad sign. <laughs> okay. Great question. Like as you begin to scale. 
generally with both 99designs and Flipper, the initial teams were like four or five people. I think that's sort of the magic number. After that, really, the added benefits starts to decrease because you start having to do more documentation and more meetings, and people are just not working as much. Versus if you have like two developers, a designer, and a product manager, and maybe someone doing marketing, that's like the ideal mix to get something off the ground. And everyone knows what everyone else is doing. You're not spending a lot of time in meetings. You're not spending hours documenting code. You're just getting shit out there and seeing what works. That's sort of the magic, magic formula, I think. And whenever we want to test a new idea, what we always do is we grab people from our main businesses and we log them in a conference room for six weeks and just tell everyone else you have to pick up the slack. Because otherwise, if you say, you know, we have this great idea for X, Y, Z, can you please do this in addition to your main job? It'll just never happen. They really have to make it a priority and be willing to you know, make some small sacrifices. Your main business might suffer for a couple of weeks while you're building something radically different out. But then you separate it out, like you were saying. If it's successful, every, every, yeah. yeah. Every business has its own people. Kind of. So I'd be like a um, co-founder and a board member of the board of directors. And whenever I'm interested, I jump in. So for like the last year and a half, I've been playing the role of PR spokesperson for 99designs as well as VP of marketing. I've had like less involvement, for example, with Flippa. So it's I take on whatever is interesting. What's the like, I was interested in the process of your? Uh, you have an idea. What do you do? You sketch it. You, you show it to three or four people. They get excited. What happens next? What do you guys do? What's the process of kind of? We try and see you know whether we can fit it in. How much work is involved in creating the idea, and then kind of go from there. Kind of bubbles up naturally. It's a very natural process. We don't sit in a conference room and say, we'll have to come up with a new idea for a company this week. Right, <laughs> it right. just sort of organically bubbles up from the team. Is it ever that you have an idea and nobody else kind of sees your vision and they kind of say, I don't know what you're talking about, Matt. It's just crazy. <laughs> no? They usually come around to it eventually. You just have to be persistent sometimes, selling an idea. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of people who are just very naturally resistant to change. We have some employees like that. Like when I mentioned Amazon Web Services and cloud computing, they're like, oh my god, we have to you know, build our code with, it, with you know, the fact that any server could die at any instant, any moment in time. Uh, the entire architecting of the software would have to be completely changed and done differently if you're doing cloud computing as opposed to you know, using a traditional data center at Rackspace or whoever. But ultimately, that proved to be the right decision because if we had gone the traditional route of you know, leasing servers or buying servers and co-locating them, we wouldn't have been able to keep pace with the growth of 99designs. And our costs would have been through the roof. We would have been bleeding money left and right. Like right now, we're sitting on about 2.5 terabytes of images. There's like a new image being uploaded every five seconds, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, mm -hmm. just trying to like plan for that using traditional hosting environments just wouldn't have worked. So I was very uh, glad I was able to convince our CTO to do it, and now he's like the biggest fan. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Don't hide from customers would be like number one. 
I had my personal cell phone number on SitePoint.com for 10 years running. I answered customer calls at 2 a.m., 6 a.m. On Christmas Day, I answered 30 calls from customers. So I was like very accessible. And whenever people had a problem, they knew they could reach me, and I'd try and solve the problem. And people were very happy with that. So you know, people who hide behind anonymous domain name registrations and contact forms and don't put their full name on their website, a little bit dodgy. Uh, number two is be very careful in choosing who you work with, whether they're a vendor or an employee. And particularly with vendors, try and never prepay for anything. Sometimes vendors go bankrupt, as has happened to us, or sometimes they just turn out to be total scam artists. <laughs> uh, and number three? I don't know. Ideas are worthless. Ideas are absolutely worthless. You want proof, just try selling an idea. <laughs> no, I'll pay for it. I think, I think sales and negotiation are probably like the two most important topics for entrepreneurs to learn about. So early on when we were starting SitePoint, like I didn't pay for hosting, I didn't pay for email distribution, all the moderators in our community were unpaid, all the people who wrote content for the site were unpaid, and basically that's only because I was, number one, negotiating really hard, doing deals, you know, give me free hosting in exchange for advertising, or I basically sold people on a greater vision. Yes, using Microsoft front page, 98, <laughs> which I pirated. Some around 2000, 2001, and then eventually some of the development team figured it out as well, and they just cut me off. <laughs> you no longer have FTP access. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I